This past week, KK and I were looking at the calendar, and for some reason, we had put on the calendar the day that I was ordained to the ministry. And uh, when I see things like that and I look at the date, it really makes me feel pretty old. Because as of last Thursday, I'd been ordained to the ministry for 48 years. That's, that's a long time, all right? And uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell you for that reason, but thank you. Uh, I, I was ordained. We, we were married very young. I'm not going to say exactly how young for those of you trying to get your children to finish college. Uh, but we had, I had not finished college, and we were, we were very young. And I was ordained to the ministry right after we had been married that summer. And the church that we served in was so exciting because it, it was Jesus movement times. For those of you who have heard about how God was moving in America and people were coming to Christ. And we were seeing so many new believers. Uh, I, I'm not exaggerating to say in this little church that had had 125, 150 in attendance uh, before we got there, and I was serving as the minister of children, youth, uh, music, bus, recreation, <laughs> you know, everything that the pastor didn't do, I was trying to do to help. And we had seen so many people come to Christ. We baptized, it was right at 75 people one night. It was just an amazing, amazing time to see all these people come to Christ. And I'll never forget Dewey Henderson. Dewey was six foot and a whole bunch of pounds, you know. He was a uh, air conditioner repairman, and he uh, came to Christ, and he got so excited. We baptized Dewey and Mary and two of his girls, and, and uh, he was just so excited about Jesus. And I, I'll never forget him coming and saying, hey, Pastor, you know, I... Uh, I'm having trouble at work. And I said, I'm sorry. He said, no, I'm, I'm having trouble because every time I go to repair someone's air conditioner, I want to tell them about Jesus. And I start, you know, I start witnessing to them, and I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble because I thought, you know, I feel like I'm spending more time talking about the Lord than I am repairing air conditioners. And, you know, we talked about the tension of, of being a good worker. But one day he walked in my office, and he, he closed the door. And he came over. And stood right in front of my desk. Remember I told you how big he was. He stood right there on my desk and he looked at me. He said, now I want you to tell me the truth. And I said, well, Dewey, I, I think I always tell you the truth. He said, no, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to absolutely tell me the truth. I said, okay, sit down. And so he, he sat down across the desk from me. And he said, is this going to wear off? What do you mean? He said, everybody tells me I'm too excited about Jesus and that it's going to wear off and that one of these days I'm going to quit being so excited and I'm just going to act like everybody else that claims to be a Christian. <laughs> I chuckled. I said, Dewey, it doesn't have to wear off. You've been talking to what some pastors call the cold water committee. You know, they, they start trying to calm down everybody who's excited about Jesus because it makes them look bad, you know. But do, it doesn't have to wear off. It's really going to matter on how deep your roots go 
and how much you keep looking at Jesus to see if you can stay hot-hearted, warm, zealous in your following Jesus. Now, I tell you that story because I cannot read Titus 2.14 without thinking of doing it. When it says, he, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This morning I want to ask you, how's your zeal? Now, I can't say that every single day since that day with Dewey that I've been a zealous follower of Christ. I've had sleepy moments. I've had out-of-touch moments. I've had times when it seemed like heaven was kind of locked up and I didn't know what to do next. But the scripture says that Jesus died for us so that he could work in us to make us zealous for good works. Now we know that our works don't save us. The book of Ephesians says that it's by grace we are saved and that not of ourselves is a gift of God through faith that, so that no one would boast. Then it goes on to say we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We don't work to be saved, but we work because we are saved and God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. And so every day for a zealous Christ follower should be a day when we say, okay, Lord, what's the works that you prepared today for me to walk in? That's reasonable, biblically speaking, for us to think that way, for us to expect that. But today I ask you, is God at work in your life? Well, I already know the answer to that, so let me ask you, let me ask you a different way. Can you see God at work in your life? Are you looking to see how he is working in the circumstances of your life? This little book of Titus is so small. We joked when we gave you that scripture journal that it was so small they had to put 1 and 2 Timothy with it. All right, well, only be like two pages, right? But, I mean, it's just two pages right here in this Bible. I can, I can look at the whole book at one glance. But in this little book, Paul is telling Titus, Tell those churches, this is how they walk with God. This is how they see him at work. So today, I want us, in these minutes we have, to ask God to show us how he is working in our lives. Can we do that together? Pray with me now. Father, we open your word with great reverence. We ask you to be our teacher. We pray now that you would show us that you are at work in our lives and help us to learn how to cultivate and deepen our root system so that we can truly wake up from sleepy faith and be zealous in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Declare these Things, he says in verse 15. It's, it's almost like a hinge verse. It relates back to chapter 2 and it turns us to chapter 3. Declare these things. It's like Paul goes into command mode. As a matter of fact, of the very few commands in this whole book, we find, I think, four of them right here in this verse. And when I think of command mode, I, I have to chuckle a little bit thinking back at what my grandson did it wasn't a funny moment, but it was 
kind of funny to hear him go into command mode. Some of you know that there was a school shooting uh, up in uh, Winston-Salem where we had lived for many years. Two of our granddaughters were in that school, and we were right on edge. We, we'd gotten word that they were okay, but then we found out that my grandson was working in a grocery store just down the street from the school where they were telling everybody to go hang out and wait to pick up their kids. And so we said, well, let's call Elliot. So we called Elliot, and we were talking to him, and all of a sudden he said, hang on a minute, and we could hear him. He was on speakerphone. We could hear him say, it's okay. You can come on in. Just calm down. Everything's all right. Just come on in. We said, what's going on, Elliot? He said, somebody said they thought they saw the shooter right in the parking lot, and everybody's freaking out running in the grocery store. And so uh, we, we said, well, go ahead, buddy. And we hung up, and I, I told KK, I said, did you hear he went into command mode? It was like, okay, stop. It's okay. Calm down. Come in. I don't know your temperament, but I've got one of those. As a matter of fact, when things get really tough, I get quieter, slower, and very deliberate. Command mode. <laughs> it's like, this is what we ought to do. Right here, Paul says to Titus, declare these things and don't back off. What are these things that he's reminding him to declare to the people? What is he telling them to make them think about? First, I, I just want to go back and say, we know God is at work because he brought me to himself through the work on the cross. That's what he said. He said he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. And God didn't waste the blood of his son. He didn't send his son to die for nothing. He sent him to die to rescue us, to pay our price, to clean us up. That same pastor that I was serving with in that college town used to tell the story of living with his grandparents. And he said he lived with his grandparents and his mother worked in the city and he always was wanting to see his mom, but she couldn't come and visit very often. But about once or twice a month, she'd come for the weekend. And he said, I remember the day that I had gone and I'd gotten really dirty. And my grandmother said, you can't be looking like that when your mother shows up. And so took me in and and washed me up and put on some clean clothes. And I was sitting up in the window. And I wanted so much to go out and play. And my grandmother kept saying, no, you got to stay clean. So when your mother comes, you can jump up in her arms. And he said, when I think about the coming of Jesus, I remember when Peter said, those who have this hope purify themselves. So it's not just that he purified us, but that we want to be clean through his blood so we can jump up in his arms at his coming and we can have fellowship with him in our daily lives. God brought us to himself through the cross and now his spirit is at work inside of us. That's how he's working in us. When Johnny and I laid out the preaching of the book of Titus, I told him, I said, I really want to preach this passage because it's, it's just... It's one I, I really want to preach because I've preached it so many times, and then he preached it. So I'm going to come back and preach it again anyway, Johnny. I, I just can't help but point out what it says in verse 11 of chapter 2 because it's part of the hinge to chapter 3. It says, The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men, and His Spirit works in our life this way. He trains us. What does God's Spirit do in your heart? 
Let me tell you part of how you know you've been born again. The Spirit of God is in you whispering, do this and don't do that. Now, you may have become dull of hearing. You may have told him no so many times that you're not recognizing his work. But it's very clear here that the grace of God appeared and now the salvation has been brought to us and God is in us to teach us to say no to certain things and yes to other things. So God brought himself to me by the work of the cross. His spirit is at work inside of me now and he is working through his word to guide me. Do you know how you measure if it's God or not? Does it line up with the word or not? Does it, does it go the direction that God's word is pointing and the whispering lines up with the road signs? Because his word is showing you that that's the right way to go. Now, this is what he said in command mode. Titus, tell them these things and exhort and rebuke them with all authority. You know, sometimes you, you hear pastors teaching the scripture and, well, you know, I'm not really sure how, you know, they're talking very philosophically. But there comes a time when we've got to say, look, doesn't matter if I like it or not. Doesn't matter if I understand it or not. Doesn't matter if I can fully explain it or not. This is what God has said. Now, all we saw in chapter 2 about those relationships for the family, how we treat the generations. It's kind of fun to see the generations at Shalford of the younger adults and the older adults, the generations. How we teach in the family, how we speak to older men and younger men and older women and younger women. I, I told Johnny, I said, I guess I'm going to have to preach that one because you don't want to have to tell any woman she's old, all right? But, but the, the older women are those that can tell the younger women, you can live through this, honey. I mean, right now you think you're going to change diapers for the rest of your life, but you're not, okay? You, you think they're going to be teenagers, all, but they're not. And so there's something about having lived through it that you can pass it on to the next generation. And Paul told Titus, that's how the church family works. And don't let anybody come in teaching a strange teaching about Jesus and get them to miss this. Tell them they have to do these things. Look at those two words, exhort and rebuke. <laughs> they, they almost seem like polar opposites, but they're two sides of the same coin. Encourage, exhort, and rebuke. Tell them that's wrong. Tell them this is right. Tell them this is wrong. I almost entitled this message this is what you ought to do because nobody wants to be told what they ought to do <laughs> and i'd already decided i was going to make the introduction you need to do this and something inside of you is going to say you're not going to tell me what to do i like the old cartoon of the little boy he was sitting in the corner in time out and he had this little caption over his head I may be sitting down in the corner, but I'm standing up inside. We all kind of know what that's like. Sometimes we go through the motions of saying, okay, I'm going to do it. But something inside of us says, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Okay, fine. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But God's word tells you what to do. 
And God's word, whether we like it or not, tells us don't do certain things and do other things. Not because we're trying to earn an audience with God, but because God has worked in us by his spirit to say, this is true and right and this is the way you ought to go. He says, do it with all authority. And I love that last little thrown in there. Don't let them disregard you. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a pastor. He was in his first conflict in his church. He'd never had one before. And that's where those 48 years I told you about <laughs> come into play. You're going to live through this, buddy. Don't let them get you off track. Don't use the pulpit as a place where you can go argue your case. But don't be afraid to preach God's word and tell them this is true. And don't be afraid when the next verse says something that they don't like, but you have to teach it anyway because you believe God's word. Don't let them disregard you. Don't let them, this is a, I thought, I thought the word was don't let them look down on you, but I don't think it is. I think the word is don't let them wiggle their way out of it, Okay. Don't let them offer some way to get around having to face what God's word says is right. So what have we seen? We've seen that God has worked in me, bringing me to himself. God is now working in and through me as his spirit works in me. And God is using his word to work in my life. So what, if that's what I'm looking back to tell the family, what do I tell the people of God about the world they live in? Remind them to do certain things. Chapter 3. Remind them. I think it may be the King James that says, bring to their remembrance. I was reading Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he said, we need to be divine remembrancers. So I decided I was going to look it up and see if he made up a word. <laughs> it, it's a word in English, remembrancer. Do you know who a remembrancer is? I'm not making fun of KK. I'm just telling you the truth. She doesn't care about time. Ever. She doesn't know what time it is. Ever. She's just, she's wired that way. If you're with her, she's not in a hurry. And, and you're the only person in the world, and she's going to live in a moment. So I've been assigned in our marriage relationship to know what time it is, because she doesn't. And I regularly serve as her remembrancer. You know, you know we've got to do this. Oh, really? I think everybody ought to have a remembrancer. Wouldn't it be fun if you just had somebody say, now this is what you need to do next, okay? They're keeping up with your calendar. I've tried to let my phone do that, but I can't figure out how to make it that smart. So it can always tell me what's next. Paul says, Titus, be their remembrancer. Tell them to remember this. What is the this? Well, he's already told them about the these things of the family, but now he's telling them the this about the world they live in, and he tells them, see that God is working through authority. Look at this. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now that, you feel like the little kid in the corner sitting down but standing up inside, right? 
Nobody tells you what to do. Well, God who made the world and set it in order, God who designed our bodies and made them mysteriously work in harmony, God who put creation in form and design to carry out purposes, according to the scripture, designed authority. Some of you were in our Bible study last week. We spent the whole hour talking about God's design for authority. Basically, God designed governmental authority to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. Look it up. You can find it in Romans chapter 13, or if you like, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And you can see that God established authority for a reason. And just because you think God has explained everything to you doesn't give you right to be out from under authority. And you don't get to pick and choose which authority you submit to. Have you ever had a boss that was as smart as you? You know, most people I talk to are smarter than their boss. I mean, they're convinced. He's a dummy, and I know what ought to be done. But you know, I think he's a boss. I think she's the boss. And like it or not, if you're going to work there, you're going to be under authority. Remind them, be the remembrancer, to tell them that those who follow Christ know how to submit to authority. Do you believe that God can work through evil authority? The scripture says that God's turning the heart of the king. How many times in the Old Testament do we see the people of God having to respond to evil authority? Waiting on God to do his purpose even when they're submitting to someone they don't agree with. Can I let you in a little clue? You're not submitting to authority if you only submit when you like it. You're just going along with something you like. You're submitting to authority when you're trying to figure out how to be Christ-like under something you don't like. Because you still believe that God is working through authority. Now, you're never to say, okay, I'm going to do evil because authority told me to do evil. No, but you submit to authority and pay the consequence if you have to. That's what it means to be Christ-like. Remind them. I'm telling you, the entire New Testament was written for people who were under authority they didn't respect. The entire New Testament, everything in this first century, these were people of evil authorities, and yet they had to figure out how to honor the ultimate authority and still be under authority. Oh, it's so fun when you watch God turn circumstances in the hearts of people that you can't even see he's working. But all of a sudden, he does something and sets a direction because God works through authority. I just want to challenge you to look for God at work in places where you didn't expect it because he's working through authority, sometimes to set a direction, sometimes to set a pace, and you can't even see it. 
because he's working all things together for good. So the challenge of the scripture this morning is that God brought me to himself through the work of the cross. His spirit is at work inside of me, choosing to do certain things and reject certain things. He is working through his word as it has authority over my life, and he is working through authority as he puts people over me. We don't even like to say that, but he puts people over us in charge of things, and even when we don't agree with them, he's working things together for our good. So how do we see God at work? Well, we keep reading to verse 2. We see God at work when he moves in us to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to all people, to speak evil of no one. The word that's used here is where we get our English word blasphemy. We usually think it's blasphemy to talk evil of God. But the scripture here is saying that we're blaspheming when we talk evil of others. Now, how could that be? Well, God made you in his image. He made me in his image. And when I think I can treat you with something less than dignity, I'm acting like I'm God because I don't know what he's doing in your life. But my call is to not just to blow you off, disregard you, just treat you with disrespect because I disagree with you. Does it mean that we can't say when someone's doing evil? No. But we're not supposed to be treating them. How we treat them shows us what we really think about God. Sometimes God shows me my heart in places where I didn't expect. Like sitting in traffic. And I want to call people names. You know? I've tried not to say those kind of names from the pulpit because I've always known that I had children listening and they might go home and say those words. Preacher said it. <laughs> you know, but I want to call people foolish and ignorant and, you know, you can substitute the other words. And yet, the Spirit of God whispers in me, you don't really know them. You gonna think that of somebody? When Christ shed his blood for them just like he did for you? you? You see how the word works in our life and God uses relationships to work in our life? We saw how God used the relationships when we were back over in chapter 2. How he was using older people and younger people. How he was using older women to help the younger women. Do we see how God works in relationships with people that we don't like to teach us what he is like? And how God uses those that we are tempted to argue with 
I sure hope that's not the way you're described at work. Well, she just argues all the time. She's always trying to pick a fight. He's just always putting people down. That's not the way Christ followers are to be described. We're to be gentle. We're to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Some have translated it sweet reasonableness. I like that. There's to be an aroma of Christ working in our life so that when we encounter people, even people that we disagree with in situations that we really struggle in, we're to show a sweet reasonableness of Christ at work in our life because we know we're looking in a mirror, so to speak. As we're looking at God's creation before us, we're treating them with a dignity that they deserve. And sometimes that really takes God at work in my life to produce that kind of perfect courtesy. So let's go over it again. He brought me to himself through the cross, and I know that he, he did that work. His spirit is at work inside of me, prompting me of what to choose. His word is working, guiding me, giving me boundaries and direction in life. He is working through authority that I like and that I don't like. And he is working through relationships of people that maybe I really don't like. But God is at work in and around me. Let me finish the story on Dewey. You know what Big Dewey's doing this morning? He's preaching the gospel in a little church in South Georgia. When he finished his air conditioning career, he went from being a part-time to being a full-time pastor, volunteering in a lot of small churches. And I kind of think it didn't wear off. He still has a heart that is hot and on fire to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to help others know him. So how do we put that into practice today? Well, I could have preached it this way. Look back. See what he did when he redeemed you. Look forward. There's a blessed hope that he's coming again, so I want to be clean so I can jump up in his arms. Look inside. See how he's training you by his spirit who lives in you and look around because over and over again this passage says to be zealous for good works, to be ready for good works because God has worked in me. I'm now expecting God to work through me. And if he's not working through you today, then maybe you need to take a moment and let him work in you what he needs to work in you. So would you pray with me right now? Father, as we look into your word, we see that you've called us to be a people zealous for good works. So take us back to what it cost 
when Jesus died and gave himself to pay the price for our sinful souls. Clean us up. Help us look forward with the blessed hope that you're coming soon. Lord, as we look inside, would you train us to say no and to say yes as we let your word and your spirit guide us. And Lord, give us eyes to look around and see those in the family of God and those of our fellow men who you've put in our path Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for letting us worship. And now we pray that that work in us will become a work through us. In Jesus' name.